This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Hurricane Harvey's devastation has afflicted millions of lives, primarily in Texas. The flooding in places like Houston, Beaumont, and other locations has destroyed lifetimes of memories, but also has cast an eye again on things like preparedness, flood insurance, and climate change. And this discussion occurs as the next hurricane, Irma, as we mentioned, a Category 5, is making its way into the Caribbean and on towards the U.S. seaboard. We've assembled our expert team to discuss all of these issues, Howard Cunruther and Bob Meyer, co-directors of the Risk Management and Decision Processing Center here at the Wharton School, and also Eric Ortz, professor of legal studies and business ethics at Wharton, as well as director of the Initiative for a Global Environmental Leadership here at the Wharton School. Gentlemen, as always, great to see you all. Great, great being here. Uh, uh, what did this storm tell each one of you, Howard? Well, this storm uh, is an unusual one. That's number one. The fact is it isn't something that would happen uh, very frequently. But it also tells you that people are not prepared for this storm, and I think that's one of the issues we may want to discuss. How do you take steps in advance of a disaster to prepare so you can reduce the losses afterwards? And I think it came as a shock to everyone, including, as we know, people from Texas, the uh, legislators from Texas who see the world differently now, now that it has a disaster. And I think it tells you that you want to link up more than anything what you do beforehand as to what happens afterwards, even if it is a very low probability event. Bob? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I think it's one of these things where it's very, very difficult to get to both individuals and organizations to get their heads around the extreme rare. And uh, and I think that basically we have a tendency to either think of something's going to happen or there's an, it's a risk we don't have to worry about. And, for example, in the case of um, uh, of Harvey, uh, people in Texas should have known that, well, you know, back in 1978, there was a tropical storm that caused almost as much rain in Texas, uh, but it happened to occur kind of in the center part of the state, and there wasn't quite the damage that was occurring there. And so they have to kind of be realizing, look, this, you know, it's a rare event, but this could happen again. And next time it could happen in a major urban area and you have to be prepared for it. And to a large degree, um, at a lot of levels, there wasn't that preparedness. Eric? Yeah, well, I agree with what's been said before. I think my takeaway is that uh, there is this problem of long-term planning, especially for high risk, uh, high consequence, low probability events like this one. And so... To the extent that businesses can uh, take that into account, they should. And some businesses are at the scale, if you think of the ver- the major oil companies, et cetera, that yeah. they should be and can take that into account. But for lots of businesses and individuals, they can't take that into account. And I think one of the main takeaways here is that you really have a role for government to play um, in these uh, kinds of situations, and you have a role, a positive role for regulation. I think that's one of the big takeaways that I would hope maybe helps to change, and uh, Howard mentioned the current political climate, at least of the majority in Texas, where there's this general sense that regulation is always bad, right? That the market will always be better. And if you look at Houston, it's really an example of uh, urban development that really did not take into account questions of flood control and rational policies that I think we need to have a major takeaway of this is that those kinds of policies are very important. Uh, it was in the news, for example, that the Trump administration had revoked a uh, flood management control uh, provision that they had, uh, had had just been issued just a couple weeks before the hurricane hit. And those kinds of those kinds of uh, preventative regulations 
uh, really uh, become become clearly necessary in situations like this. I hope. Right. I hope people will start to see. Yeah. Let me add one other point to Eric's notion of long-term planning, which I think is really important, uh, and that is the issue of climate change. I think needs to at least be put on the agenda. I think there has been a number of discussions with respect to what could be happening over the next twenty or thirty years, and I right. know you've discussed that on your program as well. And unless we take that into account in thinking about preparedness, and regulations are obviously important here, but getting the message across that we've got to do something now rather than say, waiting until the disaster occurs to yeah. deal with that issue. And I think the point that was made even today with Hurricane Irma uh, approaching is there has never been in the history of this country any class two class four hurricanes except for the last hundred years that have occurred and so right now we even are threatened with something that would be very very unusual but could cause an enormous amount of damage this was also a very unique storm from the perspective of of how it tracked because as we kind of know from the history of hurricanes seemingly when they come on land they kind of you know dissipate to a degree and they become rainmakers across various portions of the u.s this was one of the first times i think we had seen a storm come on land Go back off, come back on, off, and back on a right. third time, and basically just picking spots along the the, the Texas uh, coastline where it was continuing to hit. That's why we've got Houston and Beaumont and, and Corpus Christi and a variety of locations that are really suffering right now. Yeah, I, I think that Texas, just sort of climatologically, is actually historically has had events like this, where what happens is the storm comes on land and it kind of sits there, yeah. and uh, and you get very very large precipitation events. Uh, what was really unique about that, this, of course, path was very unique, and it was also very unique that it happened to have this huge amount of rain sitting right on top of a of a major ur- urban area, yeah. uh, which is you know how often does that happen? Well, it happens frequently enough that um, uh, that you ought to be taking prepared preparedness measures for it. And, and a lot of it, I think that we talk about, a lot of people say, well, you know, I didn't get flood insurance because they said it was a one in 500 year event. Uh, you know, I think you got to take that one in 500 years with a, uh, a real tremendous grain of salt in the sense that just basically means we don't think it's very likely, but we have no idea how it is. And with climate change, it's probably going to be a lot higher than, than, than you would think. Eric? Yeah, well, I think I agree with that. And uh, I guess a couple points. One is uh, that we don't know Uh, we're still looking at whether there's really a clear climate change footprint for this particular storm. And so it's very, you have to be very careful about saying, well, the hurricane was caused by climate change, because of course we've always had hurricanes and we've sometimes had very large hurricanes. There is, there is at least one theory out there that there has been some shift uh, shifts in terms of wind currents uh, because of the Arctic uh, Arctic ice melting, and that that may have been one of the reasons why there was uh, there were wind uh, patterns that held the held the uh, held the rain so long over over Texas. The other, but the other issue is that it's probable. I would say, from what I've read so far, uh, what scientists have said, that the amount of rain that you're getting in some of these storms has increased, and that's just kind of a it's basic common yeah. sense if you think of what the dynamics of climate change. You have warmer oceans. You have more water vapor in the atmosphere. It's going to fuel more heavy precipitation events. And we have evidence that that, in fact, has been happening in the United States and elsewhere. So that's one point. A second point I wanted to pick up on the flood insurance point 
And that, I think, is a very important policy question that also has business relevance because the best way really to try to uh, internalize the external the, the, the costs, yeah. what you really have here is like uh, Texas is too big to fail, right? So yeah. now we have to bail them out with $70 billion or whatever it is. Yeah, but 7. if you really look billion, at the yeah. long-term planning, what you would want to have is that businesses and individuals would be rational about if they're going to build in a flood uh, prone area or a high risk coastal area, you buy the insurance to cover it, and that means uh, if you had a if you have requirements to buy insurance, then the private market is handling the risk, and you don't have it all hitting the taxpayer whenever you have a big disaster, and that is a problem that we've had for many years now. Uh, Howard's been arguing for <laughs> policy changes for for many years also, but yeah. we don't seem to get it because for for political reasons, and and so. Uh, especially with another hurricane about to hit, maybe a rational reassessment of the policies that we have could could come into come come into effect. Yeah. Howard? Well, I, I think a couple of points just to follow up with Bob and, and Eric have said. One is I think there is a general agreement by climate scientists that there are more intense hurricanes. Are more, intense hurricanes are more likely. And with sea level rise and other points that both uh, Bob and, and Eric have, have raised, I think that's an important issue. But I think the, the, the key issue I'd want to come back to is what is, and Eric alluded to that, uh, what is the role of the public and private sector when you come to flood? And the challenge here is this is a national program. It's the mm -hmm. national flood insurance program. There are now movements to move into the private sector, and everyone is in favor of the private sector on one level. Certainly, all of us at Warden would like to see private sector involved as a part of our mantra, but at the same time, we recognize that there are a whole set of other issues that may require the public sector. And let me mention three of them that really, I think, are important here. Uh -huh. One has to do with mapping. You really need to have better mapping, yeah. and you can get the private sector involved, but you have to at least make sure that there is some feeling from the national National flood insurance program that we have better maps and accurate maps and I think the point that Bob made is a very important one that people actually highlight the fact that it either is going to happen to me or it is not going to happen to me and when you require a flood insurance uh, when it's in the one in a hundred year floodplain which is a chances of a, a flood happening greater than one in a hundred but absolutely don't require it elsewhere people are going to think that they don't need it so you do have to think about how do you get the mapping and the requirements as a part of this well I, I, I want to bring up something that we've kind of alluded to is also the fact, as we mentioned before we went on the air, is something needs to be brought up, and it's part mapping, I think, and part regulation, is the fact that you've, ha right now, you have some 4,000 homes that are still underwater in Houston that are around this uh, this uh, reservoir uh, in Houston, and, and these were homes that were built there, understanding that, you know, this could be a possibility, I guess to a degree, this you have to start looking at the future of building homes in and around these types of locations and the possibility that exists of this type of an event happening and all of these massive number of homes being flooded. Yeah, there's no question that that is an important component to this. And the fact is that at the time that the, that the flood program was started, you didn't have requirements if the probability was very, very low. And, and, and obviously, you have to think about when do you regulate. Communities are forced to do land use regulations and building codes, but this is one area that we obviously didn't do it. Let me finish very quickly because I know we want to move in. Two other things I think have to be put on the table. One 
one is how do you reduce these losses in the future? That's yeah. mitigation. And what ways can we do that? And with, with climate change, sea level rise, and the points that have been raised, we have to think about that. And the third one that has not been effectively uh, introduced, at least in current legislation, uh, it's been mentioned, but it hasn't been put on the table, is the issue of fairness and affordability. There are yeah. low-income people who are in these areas. Yeah. And if you do, and I agree with Eric, yes, we'd like the private sector involved, but if you just let the private sector take this over, which is one of the proposals, you're going to have an enormous problem of people who are going to say, I can't pay the $20,000 yeah. that I'm going to have to pay for my insurance policy. So we have to put that on the table. And let me end up that note. 844-942-7866 is the number if you'd like to join in. Your comments are welcome there. Either call us by phone at that number again, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get to your phone, you can send me a comment on Twitter. I'll bring it up on the show. My Twitter account is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. To the phones we go in Chicago, Les is on the line. Les, go ahead, sir. Hey, Dan, it's Les, the truck driver. Hey, Les, great to talk to you again. Uh, I am a native of Houston, and this is the first time that I've ever seen those reservoirs top over. And I'm in my mid-50s, so that says something right there. All right. Uh, something else is that I'd like to compliment the local, uh, the state, uh, county, and city officials for the way they got involved and start taking care of the people before the storm even hit. And then something else is uh, I think they need to look more at trying to fix the big picture to fixing individual houses. Like there was one gentleman that was in the paper. Uh, he ha he was he'd received the grant from FEMA that would allow him three hundred fifty dollars to raise his three thousand square foot house five feet in 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 a floodplain. Yeah. And then one final point is this is the third time in three years that Houston's been hit like this and flooded. Les, uh, be safe out there on the highways. Thanks for your input, Bob. Uh, yeah, I, I think that one of the uh, you, you raised sort of a good point about kind of how often these things occur, uh, that it's a rare event. And uh, and I think if you're say, but I think for a lot of people in these areas, if you told them, look, it's once every 50 years, you're going to get one of these floods. I think you would get everybody would be lining up to buy either. Probably, first of all, they wouldn't be building houses there and right. they would also be uh, lining up to buy flood insurance. But a lot of the people are told that uh, that it's a one in 500 year event. Um, and, and also, so in some sense, there's a lot of um, cooks in the kitchen in terms of uh, you know, where the fault is going to lie. And for a lot of these people, when they move into the area, no one's an expert in flood insurance. And so they talk to the real estate agent, and, and they and yeah. you might ask the real estate agent, hey, am I we got flood risk here? What do you think the real estate agent's going to say? Absolutely no. It's never happened here. And so people kind of go in, and they don't feel kind of the need to buy insurance, or they're, they're facing any risk whatsoever. So I, I, um, so, so I think it's at some point, you have to say, well, who, how do you fix that problem? And, and one strategy would be to say, okay, go through regulation and basically have the government come in and say, look, uh, uh, you, you know, we're, we're going to require everyone to have it. We're going to require this, require that. But that just pushes back against sort of a lot of notions of individual freedom, which I think is very, very strong, as has been brought up already in the state of Texas, where people feel, yeah. you know, Houston doesn't believe in, in zoning, you know, much less, uh, um, uh, you know, making people buy flood insurance. So, Well, go ahead, Eric. Yeah, well, I'd just like to pick up on one uh, note the caller made, and I think it is 
true that the first responders have done an amazing job there, and yeah. uh, at the at the federal and the state level, the uh, and the loss of life uh, is relatively small. So you have fifty, you have sixty people. I mean, it's terrible that sixty people have died, but given a given a hurricane of this magnitude and given the amount, it's unprecedented amount of water and flooding, uh, I think that's a pretty good number so far. It's probably going to increase. But in Katrina, for example, you had 1,800, and it's relatively unreported here, but you have thousands who, who have been killed in monsoons right now in, uh, in, the, in Bangladesh and, 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 and India. So that's, I think, uh, a, a testimony to good we have improved weather forecasting, so yep. that and that's something, by the way, that I think the government should not cut. Which it's an, it's now proposing to cut uh, research to improve our our weather tracking. And there's a competition right now between Europe and the United States about who can do the best. But you really need that kind of basic information in order to have good responses. So that uh, that's one thing I just wanted to pick up on, though. That I think the caller's right to ha uh, highlight the heroism of many of these responders. I was just in the yeah. Paper, uh, a dreamer apparently went down to kind of just volunteer, and he was one of the persons killed in the event. So you have a lot of people who really stepped up and have uh, have helped a lot of people on the ground down there, and that's to be uh, that's to be held up. Some of the pictures uh, of what they call the Cajun Navy all across that that part of the country over the last ten days are just incredible. Howard? Yeah. Well, let me pick up on and compliment uh, what uh, Bob and uh, Eric have said. I think it's less is is a, is a caller. Yeah. Uh, less. I, I mean. It's certainly the short run uh, is very, very important, and that's what's happening now, and that's very positive. But it's the long-run opportunities, I think, that we have to think about, and I think that's partly what I think we're all talking about. If it turns out that these are events that can cause an enormous amount of damage, and we know that there are responses to this. We absolutely have to help. And I think, Les, your point about the fact that if it turns out that someone is going to elevate their house and they're only given $350, that's not a way to deal with this problem. I think a much better way to deal with it is, first of all, to tell people what the risk is. Make it transparent. And insurance premium helps that in terms of saying, here's what the likelihood will be and the consequences, and that how a, that's how a premium is determined. Mm -hmm. but we also recognize that if it turns out that an individual, that, that homeowner, can make their house safer and elevate their house, their premium would go way down as a result of that because of the fact that the chances of, an, of a damage would be lower. And so I think we've got to begin to reflect on these longer-term issues in terms of taking advantage and the positive side of every disaster. And I think we have a lot of history on disasters that the be people always come to the rescue right afterwards, but then we forget quickly. And yeah. uh, Bob Meyer and I have... Uh, written about that in, a, in, our, in a, on our book, The Ostrich Paradox, where we actually talk about the fact there's amnesia and it, it, things that turn out immediately are forgotten. Can we take advantage of this and say, let's get a policy that will help everyone, not just in Houston, but around the country from these events? And if you take the whole country, the probability of one of these disasters is quite high in the country. What, what is amazing, though, when you think about the, the, the issue of amnesia is that, obviously, as Harvey kind of made landfall, a lot of the conversation was correlated back to Katrina. It's almost like people had forgotten about Sandy, you know, who, yeah. and, and you know, maybe it's the Northeast bias I think that we Ted, have out Ted there. Ted Cruz but in particular wants to forget I, about Sandy. I would Sandy. think he would, too, but, but right. But, but, I mean, you're talking about a storm that did unbelievable amounts of damage from, you know, central Jersey all the way mm. through New York City and, and up into Connecticut. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, well, one of the things we talk about in our book is this idea that actually for, uh, well, people have really good memories of the events themselves. Like, people kind of, you ask people, 
you remember Sandy? Well, of course. You remember yeah. Katrina? Of course. But what actually tends to decay very rapidly over time is what we call emotional memory. That is what it really felt like to go through there. And basically, sure. you know, what it was like for these people to basically dealing with uh, the stench of muck in their houses and so forth. And and that's the type of thing you remember the the event, but you just, you know, it's just that deep emotional thing. That's what kind of causes you to say, hey, we've got to fix that problem. Unfortunately, that tends to fade very, very quickly, and people go into laxness afterwards. And, and one uh, one follow-up on that is I think that for many environmental regulations, you have progress when there's a catastrophic event of some kind, and it focuses the mind. So a lot of people, including maybe academics, policymakers, et cetera, are saying, here's a rational policy to have, but you need to have the political will to push that forward. So it might be possible that especially if we have another hurricane hitting us again, maybe that will help to focus everyone on some rational policies. And just to highlight one other issue, EPA is being cut back, and there's basically a war on environmental regulations right now. But if you look at Texas, uh, in Houston, there's a terrible, there's another part of this disaster, which is many of the, uh, many chemical plants and uh, oil refineries have had uh, breaches, and it appears that they're not ready for some of these very large events. Well, the arc of the plant uh, specifically, And there's major, there's major air pollution events going on right now. So, uh, air toxics. Uh, yeah, I think I just saw a, a, a report about that. You know, uh, uh, there's a lot of air toxics that are being released, as well as uh, I think in one part of Houston, the VOCs are at ten times uh, what is deemed to be healthy. So those kinds of issues also, I think, highlight the importance for environmental regulations, yeah. not only to have them, but also to upgrade them as if we have increased risks of these kinds of storms or high. Um, or, or water uh, or, or, or flooding events, then we need to change the regulations to account for Here's that. Here's the in- interesting piece to playing off of that. Uh, air quality, obviously, is something very important, especially considering the Arkema plant, which had its issues, and the other uh, uh, gasoline and oil refineries down there. Uh, but in terms of water quality, from what I read, there are only two people for the city of Houston, two that are designated of going around the city to test water quality. <laughs> How are only two people going to be able to deal with that amount of space and all of the issues that we're talking about in and around the city of Houston? And that's another huge problem, the water quality there. I think you had something like 60 to 100 or something of that numbers of systems are basically out and not going to be coming back very anytime Beaumont, soon. So Texas is, has not, Beaumont, Texas has not had theirs for a week, yeah. and they're not expected to have it back for at least a few more days. Howard? Well, I think that there is an opportunity here. I mean, even if Hurricane Irma goes off on a path that doesn't hit Florida and South Carolina, the National Flood Insurance Program is up for renewal and is set to expire on September 30th. Yeah. Uh, there is now discussion in Congress of delaying that for the next three months, which I think is very wise. There's no yeah. way you're going to get a decent piece of legislation, given what happened, or at least a piece of legislation that takes this into account. So I think we have a real opportunity to deal with that by looking at the elements of that program in a much better way than we have before. And I think we have an element in in the kind of chemical and other aspects to do the same kind of thing with the Environmental Protection Agency and put the two together to say, look, there are these long-term issues that we have to think about now. It it makes me wonder, specifically with the Arkema plant down there in in Texas, whether or not as much devastation and, and destruction as they had, of whether or not they're going to have to, if they rebuild there, if they are going to have to rebuild in a much different manner to be able to protect themselves about this. Or a lot of the people that lived in that neighborhood that had to be evacuated said, you know what, I don't think we want them here. 
and whether or not they're going to get pushed out. Well, there are ser there are serious questions about where do you build if the if if there really is a climate uh, changing risk. Yeah. Uh, do you really want all these refineries that are in yeah. Houston? Now, it's not it's not a cheap matter to try to relocate them, but I think you would certainly want to start to think about are there technologies that you can use to improve the safety of these uh, kinds of plants and and refineries. But and, seemingly, and, where, and also I think in particular, and this goes to the long term planning issue that Howard had raised, and 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 the zone question is what about the future because yeah. you you know you don't want to maybe we have enough of these kinds of plants located there you might want to have uh, uh, federal policies as well as state and local policies to say look why don't we locate uh, these new plants in a safer area right F further from the coast etc so it may yeah. increase some costs on transportation but on the other hand, uh, there's a trade-off on whether you're going to have to pay this kind of money for disasters. Bob? Yeah, I, I also think that at, at some point we also have to kind of, uh, rather than, in addition to kind of think what the what we could do in terms of federal legislation and so forth, um, at the end of the day, it's ultimately individual decisions about where to live and, and so yeah. forth. And I think it often, I think it's really dangerous for individuals to just assume that somehow or another the federal government's going to fix it all. And if I'm moving into an area, there's going to be, you know, affordable insurance that's going to take care of my problem. Problems, and if something goes wrong with the house, somebody's going to come in and rebuild it and so forth. And I, I, I think that, that we've kind of, that I'm thinking in terms of the state of Texas, like, you know, back in the 1800s, there was um, uh, the town, famous town of Indianola, uh, which was on the, the, the Texas Gulf Coast, and it got destroyed by a hurricane. So the people came in and they, and they rebuilt it. Another uh, hurricane came in, it got destroyed again. And then rather than kind of at that point sort of going to Washington and saying, hey, why don't you go ahead and help us rebuild it a third time, the people said, we shouldn't build that, we shouldn't have a city here. Okay, and so yeah. then they and they abandoned the city, and so so in some degree, I, I think that at the end of the day, you know, you, you can't. You, you it's an individual's decision where you you have to kind of the, the burden of assessing risk and uh, so forth has to go to the level of an individual, and you know, you, and and you should be asking hard questions of real estate agents. Really, what is the risk of flood here? And do your own research on it, and uh, and then just don't live there, you know, and, and that yeah. sort of thing. So, Howard, yeah, well, I I certainly agree with Bob uh, that there is an individual decision, but I also agree with the last point he made. There's a lot of incentives that people don't have to actually provide that information. So we have to find ways, not only to let people know what the risk is and what they're doing, but we also may have to find ways to have appropriate regulations where a lot of other people might be hurt by virtue of this. And I think this is one of the challenges we face in the renewal of the program. When do we regulate? When do we let individual freedom? If it turns out that you're going to have a large, large number of people who are going to be demanding federal relief, as they are right now, and appropriately so, because their hose are underwater and they don't yeah. have insurance, you're going to get that relief. And if you're going to get that relief, then you have to say, what could we do to reduce it? I think there are two points that could deal with that. One is make the home safer, number one, so that they don't have these kinds of losses. And the second is to figure out when you want to regulate. Even just regulating people to have insurance and saying you're required, as we do with homeowners insurance, yeah. uh, and do it with flood insurance in these areas that are not as risky, will make a bit major difference because people will then know that they have a price to pay if they're going to be living in the area. Eric? Yeah, one other, uh, uh, not only individuals, but also businesses pl should play a role here. They have to make the same kinds sure. of calculations, but yeah. I'd even go further to put it, uh, in, in, and I think more and more businesses are taking the public issues more seriously, and we see that in various contexts uh, in, in, the, in the last, uh, in this year. But uh, they have a role to play, too, to come forward and say, let's 
come together to come uh, to agree to basic standards. Uh, I think architects, for example, have uh, taken this issue uh, forward to say here are recommended best practices for how we should be uh, designing buildings and designing cities. And so I think there's a role there to play as well that businesses can step up and be engaged in the public process. It also then eliminates any kind of competitive problem that they might otherwise have, right? So you might you might say, well, I'm not going to move because I that's going to cost me more money, and yeah. then I I lose the competitor. So if you are collectively as as uh, coming together and moving proposals forward as businesses and the public interest, then you can solve the collective action problem, but you also are solving a problem for yourselves in the long term. And you need enough inspectors to be able to enforce the standards, which <laughs> yeah. comes back to your point yeah. earlier in terms of how you deal with that. Great to have you all here. Thank you, gentlemen. <laughs> Appreciate your time. Thank you Thanks. very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Howard Kunruther and Bob Meyer, uh, co-directors of the Risk Management and Decision Processes Center here at the Wharton School in Eric Ortz, uh, professor of legal studies and business ethics, as well as director of the Initiative for Global Environmental Leadership. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.